Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the How to Sleep podcast. In this episode, you'll learn if working in your bedroom really is bad for your sleep. And I have some ideas for you if you have no choice but to work in your bedroom. Welcome to the How to Sleep podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Blakeman, qualified adult sleep coach, a previous sufferer of insomnia and mum of three. I believe that sleep is fundamental to your enjoyment of the life you have worked so hard to create and I support adults like you who are struggling to sleep to get back to sleep and back to living your life in full colour and with maximum energy. This podcast is for you if you are taking ages to get to sleep or waking in the night and can't get back to sleep or both. Keep listening to find out how sleep works, the essential elements you need to get the sleep you deserve and actionable steps that you can take. I don't know about you, but there's a statement that I seem to hear all the time, that your bedroom should only be used for sleep and sex, and that you should keep your room solely for these activities and not do anything else in your room. So I wanted to talk about this today in case you've read this and it's worrying you because perhaps you have no choice but to work in your bedroom and you're worried about the impact it could be having on your sleep. So I want to explain this advice in more detail so that you can understand that it's not a hard and fast rule. So firstly, I want to explain why this advice can be good advice. And I've talked before about the fact that sleep is controlled by our subconscious brain. And I've also talked about the impact that the subconscious mind can have on our ability to sleep. And this also links to this statement about what we should and shouldn't use our bedroom for. So in order to sleep well, our brain, or more specifically, I should say, our subconscious mind needs to feel as though it's in a suitable environment for sleep. And this is obvious, this makes sense, of course, because we're very vulnerable when we are asleep. So we have to feel safe and comforted by our environment. And I've said this before, but I can't stress it enough. Our sleep mechanisms are very old. They're very basic. And now in a time when we were living in the past in a more hunter-gatherer lifestyle, Um, then the definition of a suitable environment is a lot easier to picture. So we would have wanted to be comfortable and not in a place of exposure to predators and the type of things that we'll be trying to protect ourselves from while we're asleep were kind of more obvious, like predators, as I've said, bad weather, you know, that kind of thing. And in our modern lives, most of us thankfully don't have to worry about these things actually infiltrating our homes and into our bedroom. But we tend to forget that these basic mechanisms are still at work. They're still scanning for danger, scanning for discomfort, for for things that could put us at risk and that could um, encroach on our safety in the night. So although there may no longer be obvious dangers um, in a sort of typical physical danger sense, the brain's still working on these basic principles. So we do need to feel as though our sleep environment is a safe one, it's protective, it's comfortable, in order that we can truly relax and maximise the chances of inviting sleep in. Now for some of us, our workplace is not necessarily a relaxing, comfortable place. It can be uncomfortable, tense, worrying, exhausting. Uh, You know, there is a kind of feeling that we've got to keep going. There's lots of things to do. So bringing our work into our bedroom and all the paraphernalia that goes with it, the laptop, the paperwork, the desk itself, the presence of these things could trigger our minds to feel like we were still being exposed 
to the perils of work, if you like, the kind of fear-based, that worry associated with work, even when we're not actually working. And this can happen even though our conscious mind knows that the working day is finished and we haven't come into the bedroom for that purpose. Now, if our sleep environment is triggering the subconscious mind back into thinking about work and now we don't necessarily feel in a kind of safe, comfortable, relaxed place, then our subconscious brain could trigger a mechanism that overrides sleep. And that would mean that no matter how sleepy or tired we are, if our brain was not convinced that we're in an appropriate place to go to sleep, it can act to override those sleepy feelings and we stay awake. And the other important thing to know is that psychologists have found that our subconscious brain can be detecting and processing this information in a way that our conscious brain is not actually aware of and maybe, like we've talked about, even wouldn't agree with. So what I mean by that is it's possible even when we consciously know that our bedroom is the right place for sleep and that it's perfectly safe and appropriate to go to sleep in it, our subconscious mind may have um, detected something or interpreted something as meaning the exact opposite of this. Um, but that also we wouldn't necessarily know it had done that. And therefore, you know, we're going to really struggle to control it. And what psychologists also know is that we can start to make associations between places and emotions or triggers. So, for example, some people form negative associations with places like hospitals or dentists or graveyards and positive associations with places like beaches or theme parks or wherever. And that's just classical conditioning. That's that's Pavlov's you know, dog experiment. So linking a place or an event to something which, you know, happens repeatedly in that place. And obviously those associations are completely individual to each person. So when you bring all these findings together, that you can build a positive or a negative association with a place, and this can be subconscious, and the subconscious can act as a trigger to trigger the mechanisms which inhibit sleep. And all of this can happen even if the conscious mind is not aware or in agreement that this is happening, then this could lead to a situation where you've made a negative association with your room in the context of sleep, which is triggered maybe with or without you even realising it, so that when you go into your room, this could inadvertently be leading to a sequence of events which is inhibiting your sleep. And conversely, we can also, on the positive side, we can deliberately um, act to link our bedroom mentally to the place where we sleep. And the result should be that we start to respond to that pattern by getting mentally ready for sleep just by the act of going into our bedroom. Now, because the triggers and associations are completely individual and you may not be aware of them, and as always, helpfully with scientific research, when it gets reported in the wider media, they need to turn this advice into something which is applicable. They want to give people help to know how to apply these findings. And so this advice to me is how this becomes very generic and broad brush. And so we end up with the statement that you can't use the bedroom for anything but sleep or sex, just in case you build any of these triggers or negative associations, you know, without even realizing. So it's a sledgehammer to crack a nut basically. So hopefully that was useful in explaining why the advice is really good advice based on the science, but also at the same time, it ends up being shared in a very generic way way and not personalised just because of the difficulty in personalising it. Like I said though, it might not be practical for you to actually avoid 
using your bedroom for other things. So what happens if your circumstances don't allow you to separate these activities that could be triggers from your bedroom? What if you know that work, for example, can keep you awake, but the recent pandemic means that your bedroom is now doubling as your office, so you don't have a choice? And obviously the act of working and the feelings that you might experience while you're at work could be the complete opposite of those feelings that you want to conjure up when you need to relax and go to sleep. So what do you do if this is your circumstance? Well, to me, in this circumstance, it's sensible to consider how you can limit the risk of building these triggers. Now, when I'm coaching with people, we can discuss their circumstances and we can um, you know, think of tailored solutions for them because not all suggestions are useful to all people. But I want to give you some ideas for starters. So what I suggest is walk into your bedroom and look at it objectively. Does it feel predominantly like it's a place of relaxation? Do you don't want your work to sort of metaphorically scream out at you every time you go into the bedroom? You want some separation from your sleep area and um, your sleep time of the day and work. So this is your takeaway action for this week. If you have to work in your bedroom, try and think about how you would answer these questions. So is your bedroom predominantly about sleep and relaxation? Are these the overriding themes when you walk into the room? Is your work area limited to a small area or has it taken over the room? Can you use physical separation like a screen or a curtain or a fold away desk to put some distance between your work and sleep spaces within your room. Is your work area tidy? Is your work stuff um, you know, packed away at the end of the working day so that it's not the first thing you see when you go back into your room to sleep and it hasn't um, you know, taken over the room, like I said. And if things do have to be visible, so it's not possible to separate them off or pack them away, are they at least tidy and neat or does it tend to be in disarray? And then again, so when you go back into your room in the evening, um, there's just kind of bits of work all over the place or your desk just looks like it's kind of needs to be addressed or it looks like there's urgent stuff to be done or you're in the middle of still doing work. Um, So have a think about that as well. All right. Thanks for listening and have a good week. Thank you for listening. I hope you found some value in today's episode. If you did, and you know others who would benefit from hearing this information as well, then please share with them. And if you would be so kind as to leave a positive review of the podcast, this will support me in my mission to spread the message of sleep as wide as possible. Thank you so much. If you can't wait until the next episode and you want more guidance right now, then head on over to my website and get access to my free sleep resources. Link in the show notes or follow me on Instagram at Nikki.Blakeman. Wishing you a peaceful night's sleep.